on those headphones. It's time for Naughty Talk with Sunny Lee Maine. Welcome to Naughty Talk with Sunny Lee Maine, the podcast that explores all things kinky in a sexy and inclusive way. This show is intended for mature audiences aged 18 and up, and some listeners may find it disturbing. We believe in risk-aware consensual kink here on the show, so if you do try things mentioned on the show at home, know that neither the show nor the cast are responsible for any accidents, injuries, legal or property damages that may occur while getting your kink on. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 5 of Naughty Talk. I'm Sunny Lee Main, she, her, and I am here with VD Mac, he, him. How are you today? I'm great, Sunny. How are you? Well, thank you. So I'm glad we have you here, and you're going to put your significant wilderness survival training to good use <laughs> and give us some tips for sex in the great outdoors. So there are definitely some tricks of the trade. Obviously, private property where you aren't breaking any laws is ideal. And please note that if listeners do decide to take this risk, we are not responsible here on Naughty Talk. Our official advice is to keep everything legal. So yeah, it's going to be risky. It is definitely better to try to do this on private property. But let's say that you can find either a safe or legal, hopefully both, spot to do outdoor sex. There are a lot of other considerations, and we're going to spend more time on those things. Sex is natural and very hot and very primal, but also we want to make sure that we are respecting nature and preserving those beautiful natural places. How can we be sure to leave no trace and be eco-friendly when we're doing outdoor sex? I think, um, you know, basically with leave no trace, what you want to do, kind of the overall arcing rule is pack out what you packed in. So that means making sure that For example, if you're using condoms, that you're picking up the wrapper and the used condom and everything and safely packaging in a way so that you can dispose of it properly. What you want to do is leave no evidence that you were ever there aside from maybe some footprints. How about some practical considerations about potentially dangerous plants and wildlife? Because those are things. (laughs) <laughs> that is definitely a good question. Um, it, there was actually a report, I don't know, half a dozen or so years ago of a bear attack that happened while uh, two individuals were being frisky. I want to say, I think it was in British Columbia, but it, it was somewhere um, north of the continental United States. And so obviously we want to make sure that does not happen. The good news is predators generally follow game trails. So as long as you're not on a game trail, i.e. you look around and there's not a lot of, uh, say, deer tracks or something, then generally you're probably going to be fairly safe from most of the dangerous wildlife. Well, so there you go. That is an actual, like, really solid tip for choosing your location. Like, think about things like areas where there might be a lot of wildlife, where there might be hunting, for example, going on. You definitely don't want to be mistaken for a deer, that sort of thing. Those are things to consider when you are choosing your spot. 
And, you know, in, in terms of plants, you know, obviously, if you're in the United States or if you're in Canada or if you're in Europe, uh, I'm be honest with you, I'm not sure about the other continents. You know, there are some plant life that can cause harm. Uh, for example, itchy shit. <laughs> right. For example, uh, in the United States, we have the three poisons, poison ivy, poison sumac, poison oak. We have stinging nettles. Uh, we have giant hogweed. Uh, and probably, you know, I have half a dozen others that I'm not thinking of off the top of my head. So it's really important to know what plant life is in your area and be able to at least identify those that can cause you harm by contacting skin to, to some sort of plant material. Stinging nettles are excellent in a lot of sort of plant-based medicine with proper preparation, but they are not something you want against your bare ass while you're getting frisky in the woods. Or, you know, even more sensitive areas that may be exposed. Yeah, Kitty doesn't want any poison ivy. Thank you very much. <laughs> no, that can actually be very dangerous, um, you know, especially if... Some of these um, toxic substances that are in plants get into mucous membranes. Uh, you can have some serious issues. When we practice risk-aware consensual kink, or in this case, risk-aware consensual outdoor sex, things can still go wrong even when we do a lot of planning. So in the event that you did come into contact with a wild animal, do you have any words of wisdom for how to save your own behind? Yes, don't. <laughs> but if you do, it all depends on uh, the animal. You know, for the most part, most of the wildlife in North America don't care for humans. And they're going to avoid humans uh, if they can see you, smell you, hear you. Uh, generally, they're going to avoid you for the most part. Um, you know, we do have some dangerous wildlife, as we, we said, um, you know, bears were the example that I gave, but even uh, moose, for example, which many people don't consider to be dangerous, they're basically 1500 pound stomping machines. They'll like and, run you over. Right. So, you know, being aware of how to deal with a close encounter with the dangerous animals in your area is absolutely key. So, for example, again, just using bears, you know, brown bear, you want to play dead if they attack you versus a black bear, you want to fight them off, as an example. So being being aware of what the differences are uh, can absolutely save your life if uh, you ever get into one of those situations. And again, this is not a full wilderness survival class. So, you know, certainly if you're planning to be somewhere remote, we recommend that you do do some additional training. And hopefully nobody comes across a bear while getting their kink on. But um, we've talked a little bit about potentially dangerous plants and wildlife. How about just temperature? You know, it might be chilly depending on where you live. And you might have some thoughts about a romantic campfire, that sort of thing. But aside from making a giant smoke signal to attract attention, there are some other things to think about. And so what are some other considerations if you're considering a campfire? So, you know, obviously, uh, with all campfires, um, most campfires outside of designated spots are governed by the U.S. Forest Service. So understanding 
what the Forest Service regulations are in your area are key because I don't think there's anyone out there who wants to be in the middle of sexy time and starting a big giant forest fire. So, you know, understanding what the regulations are and then on top of that, understanding how to safely start a fire outside of a fire ring is important. And uh, I'm not going to go into it because I could spend literally two hours talking about it and you guys would probably all be asleep. Usually when we camp, I build big giant fires and daddy puts them out. So that's kind of our routine. I build them big. He tries to put them out. Jokes aside though, generally campfires are something that can cause a lot of harm and also attract a lot of attention. So sure, maybe if you're at a campsite where you have a designated fire pit in a safe area to build one, you might consider doing that. And, you know, if you're not really wanting to risk being completely vulnerable, getting a campsite with a tent for a little bit of privacy can still give you that outdoor sex experience. However, there are lots of other ways to keep yourself warm that do not involve a fire. What might those be? And I think it's also important to note that uh, most of the major sleeping bag manufacturers do make some really cool double sleeping bags that uh, can definitely keep you warm, even if they're just sitting on the ground. So uh, that's certainly one way, you know, obviously dressing for the conditions uh, and only exposing the necessary amount of skin. It can be uh, ideal as well. And then, of course, there's things like hand warmers, foot warmers, um, so on and so forth that can uh, keep parts uh, warm until they're ready to be used. I actually have a really cool sweatshirt that has a little rechargeable battery pack in it. It almost looks like the kind of um, battery pack that you would use to charge a phone. So you plug it in and you charge up the sweatshirt and then it actually is heated. So um, it's a, a personal source of heat that does not involve a flame at all. Okay. So we've talked a little bit about some of the things that you might bring with you, hand warmers, sleeping bags. You might think about some personal protection items. What are some of the other things you might bring with you to make outdoor sex a little bit safer or easier? Uh, That's a great question. Uh, You know, there's nothing worse than being outdoors and being unprepared, uh, especially for naughty time. So what I like to bring is obviously condoms. If you and your partner use that form of protection, those are important. Potentially lubrication would be important. Uh, Wet wipes for cleanup. Hand sanitizer for cleanup. Uh, I also for before, because if you touch something nasty, like you don't want like dirty, nasty things on your bits. Right. Absolutely. (laughs) Uh, And I also carry an extra plastic bag. So uh, again, like we mentioned, making sure that we're leaving no trace. That's kind of where I put all the the trash and then I make sure that that gets deposited in the proper places when we're done. And then you might also consider things like uh, insulating pads. You know, if you're going to lay on the ground and it's chilly, that's nice to have. Again, the hand warmers, foot warmers, those things. So it's quite a list. And of course, it depends on the individuals involved because we're all different and we all have different needs. But uh, that at least kind of gives you a, a list to start with and customize from there. 
Absolutely. So, and of course, this is not an exhaustive packing list. There are going to be a lot of things that you would need if you were going to be, say, spending a night in nature or, you know, spending a significant amount of time. So those are just a few items specifically focused on sexy times. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And you and I personally, we like to consider outdoor sex for a lot of reasons, including primal play, which is really just one of them. We're both practicing druids and we enjoy connecting with nature. I personally love the smell of wood smoke and the romance of a campfire, although we did touch on some of the risks of that. So only appropriate campfires, please. I love the idea of remoteness for a capture or CNC scene. And so outdoor play really lends itself really well to those sorts of things. What are some other reasons people might consider outdoor sex? Well, for some people, for example, it might be the only sort of privacy they get, depending on the living situations of the individuals involved, uh, as an example. But uh, I think we as humans, really miss our connection to nature uh, for a lot of us. And that's some of the most intimate activity we do is having uh, sex. So doing it outdoors, I think, does a really nice double connection, both with nature and with your partner. I agree. You know, camping is a really nice romantic getaway. It's a chance to unplug from your daily life, can be a way to tune out other things and be more fully present in the scene. And the last thing I really want to touch on briefly is exhibitionism. So we've mostly talked about safe and legal ways that you can do outdoor sex, but I do want to just touch on this because it is a thing that happens exhibitionism is a reason that some people do engage in outdoor sex. Specifically, there's a little bit of thrill to the risk of getting caught. And PSA, this is a real risk. You can most definitely be arrested and end up on a sex offenders list. It's not something you want to happen. But yes, you know, there can be a little bit of a thrill of getting caught, that kind of thing involved. So Really lots of reasons that people might want to do outdoor sex. And hopefully now folks have, you know, some additional thoughts about the considerations for how to make that fantasy a reality. Thanks for having this talk with me today. You're welcome, Sunny. Thank you for having me. With that hypnotic music, I can only imagine... It's time for Hypno Story. I'm here with Hypno Story. He, they are resident hypnosis. I'll let you fill in the blank because I know if I say something like guru or expert, you're going to say, no, no, not me. I'll just say hypnotist. <laughs> okay, our resident hypnotist. How are you today? I'm great. How are you? I am well, thank you. And I am really excited to talk about a super fun topic with you today. Diving right in, I'm just going to disclose a little bit. I have always been a fan of fantasy novels, stories about magic, and recently have fallen pretty deeply down the Dungeons and Dragons rabbit hole. I play as an elf princess wizard. I know it's very shocking. <laughs> my personality test says my real life personality is chaotic neutral, if anyone was wondering. But 
I just want to be clear, you know, today we're not talking about religious or spiritual practice or how religious and spiritual practices refer to magic. We're talking about fantasy and play magic. But that said, I think that whether folks are sort of playing a role-playing game or doing a kinky role play or just really wish that they could be a character in their favorite novel, hypnosis can make the dream of doing fantasy-type magic feel pretty real. What do you think? Absolutely. I mean, in a lot of ways... That's what got me into hypno kink is that in a lot of ways, I'm more than anything, a magic fetishist that, you know, I have fantasized for as long as I've been aware of sexual fantasies about sex, sort of sexy uses of fantastic magic, fantasy magic. And like the idea of being able to wave a wand at someone and have them come is something that I was super excited by. And I started, I was already interested in hypnosis, but specifically getting interested in erotic and kinky hypnosis from approaching sort of, this is how we can do a lot of these sorts of things for pretty real. And so that's, you know, where that, that's sort of where that, started for me. And I'll be honest, I mean, really any kind of hypnosis sort of feels a little bit like magic to me, like the idea that, you know, if you're sitting on the couch and your submissive partner's bratting, you could snap your fingers and they'll feel like they've received a spank, like that to me feels pretty magical. (laughs) Absolutely. And there are also very much ways that you can approach doing hypnosis to make it feel more magical if that's your goal. And that's really what we're going to focus on today. So, you know, specifically that sort of fantasy magic that we were talking about. And let's start with hypnosis that really mimics specific magic in well-known books and movies. Now, I'm going to mention Harry Potter as an example, but before anybody comes for me, J.K. Rowling has made some really shitty transphobic statements in the media. And while I grew up loving her books, I am not supporting any of that author's unfortunate views. That said, because so many people are familiar with it, it's a decent example of what we're going to be talking about today. And so the the first topic I want to sort of talk about is when a story is deeply rooted in the minds of all of the players involved, and they have things like a shared vocabulary for, let's say, the spells in those books. Their brains already know what those spells are sort of supposed to do. That can make for really great fun because brains are going to have a response to those things that are sort of deeply ingrained without having to have a lot of conversation about it. Can you talk about some of the fun things that can happen when a story or premise is really well known to all the players? Yeah, so hypnosis is largely dependent on trust, rapport, and clear communication of intent. And so if the person that you're playing with with hypnosis reads your intent and understands it, then their brain can often make the thing happen in the way you want it to. And when you have a shared context that a particular word means that a person is going to be frozen or whatever else it does, that really it may be that all you need to do is agree that you're playing in that world 
and then their unconscious will fill in a lot of the details that if there wasn't a shared context, you would have to build together. Absolutely. And, you know, sometimes there's a blend of two things that go on. You have sort of a shared context for our world, and then you take a theme or an idea from it and you build on it with hypnosis. So for example, Panda and I are always talking about doing some kind of like Alice in Wonderland themed mad tea party, but with hypnosis. And so where all the drinks, um, non-alcohol, of course, for play is recommended by me, but where all the drinks have fun, magical properties or magic-like effects. So, I mean, tell us a little bit about magic potions. and Yeah. So the first thing I'll say is, if this sounds like hypno-drug play, it's the same thing, right? So it's a matter of framing. So if you're not so much into the magic sort of overlay or the magic style, um, any of this stuff that we're about to talk about can also apply to drug play, hypno-drug play. And essentially what it is, is making a themed object or substance be a trigger. And so you can set it up that, you know, for instance, that the person will experience the red liquid, which, you know, could be fruit punch or could be water with food coloring in it or whatever as I don't know, liquid arousal or whatever else you wanted it to be. And that the more they drink, you know, every time they drink it, it activates that, that experience and that they have more of that feeling in their body and how it just keeps building with every sip. Um, you know, or you could take another color and make it, you know, a headspace like submission. So the more they drink the blue liquid, the subbier they get, or it could be any number of things, sort of whatever you imagine. Like there could be something that even a sip of it starts their body freezing from the feet up and they just get turned into a doll by taking a sip of this thing, anything you can do with hypnosis, you can pretty much make a trigger that could be a verbal trigger, but it could also be a trigger that is when they drink a particular liquid. And you actually, I think, helped to organize an event that it wasn't specifically like magic potions, but it, it was something I think at a a kink event and it was sort of like a cocktail party where the cocktails weren't alcohol, but they had hypnotic suggestions attached or something like that. Right. I will absolutely take no credit for that because I was not in any way involved in organizing it, but it's something that has happened at some of the cons. That's really fun that I've definitely talked about that, um, that, uh, somebody, her scene name is Margarita has done it at charmed several times before the pandemic did uh, what they called a hypnotic speakeasy where what they did was they had hypnotists stationed at the door or you could bring your own 
and everyone got everyone that wanted to got hypnotized before they went in and given the suggestions of what effects these mocktails would have in this themed space where they had music playing and, you know, made a little sort of nightclub-y kind of atmosphere with some fun lighting and so forth. But you could go up to the bar and order a drink and the drinks all had very evocative names. I don't remember the specifics, but they had very evocative names of what kind of effect they would, they would have like silly bubbles, you know, that, you know, or giggle juice, or I don't know, I'm making, I'm making some up. These are, these are just off the top of my head, not once they actually did, but it was really fun and people really enjoyed it. And I think that generally the people they had as the bartenders also were experienced hypnotists. And so I think they may have tended to work a little bit of hypnotic language into the conversation with someone as they make the drink about what the drink is going to do to make sure that it's clear, but it's that kind of thing. And I think it's a really fun idea and it worked really well. And if I'm mischaracterizing it, by the way, I'm sorry. It was, I only was ever in the room briefly because I tend to just be pretty busy at cons. So it didn't really work out. It sounds like the, The kind of event I would like to attend. It sounds like a super fun time and actually very similar to the, you know, the tea party idea that Panda and I were discussing. And so, yeah, I mean, we're always talking about you can use anything for anything in hypnosis utilization. But um, yeah, I think the idea of a a magic potion is just a, a really particularly fun one. And if you know, somebody loves a well known story like Alice in Wonderland and you want to do feeling like big or small, eat me, drink me kind of stuff. Or if you want to absolutely, you know, completely stuff from scratch, it can be a great time. Another really fun one that was recommended to me by Leah Lure or recommended in a class that I went to that Lee taught is uh, she really likes using something called luster dust, which is a cake decorating product. And it's basically body safe, edible glitter. Like it's not really food, but it's totally non-toxic so that if you end up ingesting a small amount of it, it's completely not a big deal. And so like, if you want to make a cake look shimmery, you can brush this very fine powder on it. It's quite expensive, but you use it in tiny, tiny quantities. And so you can use it if you want a like fairy dust that you can blow over someone or rub a little (laughs) on their forehead or something. It just, the standard glitter warnings apply that it can kind of get onto everything. So really only take out the amount you're going to use and keep the container closed tightly because if it spills, it is not easy to clean up. That sounds super fun. I could totally see like having a little bit in your palm and like blowing it in someone's face and be like, exactly. you know, That's what Lee magic. does with it. <laughs> I have not been super comfortable blowing it in people's faces because I'm afraid of getting it in their eyes. Mm-hmm. But I know Lee does blow it in people's faces and hasn't had a problem. That's such a pre-pandemic thing. <laughs> like, yeah. You don't walk up to, to people and blow in their face. Well, that's fair enough. The thing I have typically done when I've used it in demos where I needed to be sure I wasn't going to make a mess 
was I took just a tiny bit on the tip of my finger and rubbed it on the person's forehead and just made sure that they saw it on my finger and that it looks really cool. And then I just rubbed it on their forehead. Or if you're doing something sexier, then, you know, maybe I've uh, rubbed it on people's nipples. I don't think I would recommend putting it on the, on a penis or a vulva like that seems like maybe not a great idea, you know, where it would actually potentially get into the body. Although it's probably fine because it's non-toxic and non-reactive. I just don't think I'd take the chance. Anyway, lots of lots of really fun options with things like potions, beverages, luster dust, magic wands. So we've talked a little bit about you know, sort of like the fast paced, flashy stuff that can happen when you both have a really clear, like shared understanding of what certain words or triggers might mean within a story, and then how you can sort of build on that and get creative. But I think that one of the most fun things to do is really to just kind of create something completely new and fun and awesome from scratch. And I think sometimes it requires a little bit more technical work, but has better results. I don't know that it's more technical. It's definitely more work and more kind of scaffolding. And really the, the thing that, you know, I, I, we teach a class called like a wizard. That's about this topic. And, you know, and I joke, so what makes things feel like magic in a hypno scene? And the answer is obviously that you're using a magic wand, right? And then it feels like magic. And it's a joke, but it's also not a joke, right? Because the wand has context. And so if you're playing in a world, you can borrow a lot of that context. If you're not playing in an established system of magic, or you're playing in with ideas that aren't very tangible, then you need to create that context as the people who are doing the scene. And so a big part of that to me is that you need to know or you need to decide what does magic feel like to the bottom, right? Like how will they know that what's happening is magical? Is it that when you point the wand at them and say something, they're going to see sparkly energy that swirls around them. Are they going to feel tingles in certain part of their body? You know, is it that they're just going to know that it's magic because they just deeply experience it that way as something they know to be true? Those are all things that you can talk about and negotiate and then build into the suggestions about how this thing you're setting up is going to work. Right. It's the difference between, you know, when we're setting up for a bubbles class, Panda and I were joking around and being little and silly and shooting each other with bubbles. And then the bubbles were hypnotic bubbles. And, you know, things, things progressed to like this Harry Potter reference. And I didn't even have a wand. I just you know, like waved my hand in a gesture and said a common spell. I can't even remember what it was, but the effect was basically like I shout Petrificus Totalis and <laughs> she freezes like she's in a, a body bind. And really, we both had a general idea of what that spell was supposed to do. And so whatever the image, I think, or the idea that was in her brain is obviously the one that was going to take effect as 
the person receiving the suggestion as the, the subject, but it was just really kind of fun and silly and flashy, but also a lot less controlled than saying something like, you know, when I wave my wand and say this, you know, this word, I bet you'll feel like your limbs become very stiff and rigid and unable to move. Right. Because you both had the understanding of what that spell or what that word and action meant. And therefore it could just happen. I do think it's worth negotiating this stuff fairly carefully because this is an area where people's expectations can be very different because we're playing with stuff that in a lot of cases violates the laws of physics. Like it's totally impossible. And so when we're living in the land of fantasy where anything we can imagine is possible, it's kind of can be important to know what is going to happen. Like, how do we want this to work? Because if I just say I'm casting an arousal spell on somebody I'm playing with, it might work, but like, are they going to experience it the way I want them to, you know, because for instance, so the example I like to use in the class, and we actually have a really fun demo we do with this when we teach this class is that the, 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 my demo partner basically says, turn me into a cat. And from turn me into a cat, we do four trances. The first one is we make them a kitten, cute, cuddly, playful. And then they're like, no, I really wanted something more adult. And so we make them a a lap cat, an adult lap cat that's cuddly. And then they said, say something like, no, but I wanted to be kind of more aggressive. And so I make them a feral cat. (laughs) And really the thing that we're imagining in this scenario that they actually want like tiger. (laughs) Well, or in, in, in this case, sexy cat girl that, and that when they said adult, that was what they meant by adult. Ah, okay. Okay. Like adult, like sexy. And so when we're playing with this stuff, it can be really easy to think we know what we're asking for and have two completely different understandings of it. Now, obviously, the better you know the person you're playing with, the more likely you are to know whether or not you're going to be on the same page without discussing it explicitly. But if you really want something specific to happen, it can be really useful to discuss it explicitly. And if their brain does amnesia, it may also be really fun to have them forget that you've discussed it explicitly. Um, but it, but I think that it's a place where more negotiation may very well create a better outcome. All right. So obviously the possibilities are completely endless. And this is, in my opinion, one of the most fun things that you can do with hypnosis. But why don't we take it out with just a a really fun or sexy story about a scene that you did for magic that was just super fun? So this is one of the first ones I did that 
was the basis of the Like a Wizard class, actually. Originally, we got asked, uh, this was actually before I even had met Yoshi, never mind Panda, um, that we were asked to do a demo, uh, Calamity Brain and I, because we were hosting uh, a hypnosis munch in New Hampshire, and we got asked to do a demo for an event. They said that they wanted a hypnosis demo, but that it, the the topic could be kind of whatever we wanted. And so we decided that doing a magic thing would be fun. And what we did was create a scenario where I hypnotized Calamity and we did all of the setup. So all of what the spells were, what they were going to do, how it was going to work and had them forget what that was. And then they went and sat in the front row, believing that they had just come to this demonstration of magic and that they didn't know me. And I step up and introduce myself as if I am a real wizard sent from a wizarding society with a (laughs) mission to introduce magic to the mundane world, starting with a kink event because we thought the kinky people would be more accepting. And I said, so I'd like to demonstrate. And I said, well, I'll need a volunteer. And I point my wand at Calamity sitting in the audience and say something that sounds like fake Latin. And that initiates a trigger, which is a teleport effect where Calamity's mind went blank. They walked up onto the stage next to me and came out feeling like they'd been magically transported and no time had passed. And then we went through some some freeze triggers and turned them into a cat and then back into a human. And then my very favorite thing was the finale of this, where I picked up a bottle and held it up to show the audience. And the audience sees a normal Poland Springs water bottle. And I say, behold, the waters from the springs of Poland a rare and powerful potion and calamity is kind of backing away because to them, it was this weird bottle that was bubbling and smoking and, you know, and I give it to them and tell them to take a sip. And when they do in about 45 seconds, it takes them from not turned on at all to extreme arousal and then an orgasm. And that was the, and and then (laughs) the, the release trigger was when I, when I, I turn to the audience, I say, thank you very much. And they watch Calamity's face as they remember what's actually happened because (laughs) the, 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 you've been a wonderful audience. Thank you very much is the trigger we had set up for releasing all of the suggestions and ending the amnesia and that they would then remember everything. And uh, so that was really fun. That's that's still one of my favorite things. And a lot of this, if you uh, see us teaching the Like a Wizard class at an event, um, I haven't done it with Calamity in a long time because our schedules just don't line up very well to do it. But I've taught that class with a number of other folks. And um, most of that material is all still in it, although it's been rearranged a number of ways. But that gives you a kind of showy example of what's possible. 
All right. Well, I hope that we have given folks a lot of super fun ways to use hypnosis for magical, fun, sexy times. Thank you for having this conversation with me. No, thanks for having me. This is really one of my favorite topics. Thanks, as always, for listening to Naughty Talk. Our show is available on most popular podcast platforms. For updates, to submit a request to be a guest on the show, to write in with questions for our hosts or request lifestyle advice, head over to the show's page at sunnyleemain.com. You'll also find information about my novels, including my Turn the Key series, which are dark erotica with themes of hypnosis, BDSM, and sometimes a little bit of magic. All books feature different kinks and are queer inclusive. I hope you've enjoyed the show and you join us again next time.